From Moby.co, this is the Flagship Pod, a weekly live podcast about the stock market, the economy, and the various market forces powering the world around you. As always, I'm your host, Peter Starr, bringing you this time the end of just a wild week. The Dow is up. What is it? We're at 200 points up right now. Things are looking pretty solid as the economy is weighing. The latest interest rates rise from the Federal Reserve. There's a lot of really interesting things happening in the market right now, trying to figure out exactly what we're doing in terms of inflation. Is the CPI going to come out next week and be a little bit lower? Lots to discuss, lots to imagine here as well. And as always, I am joined by Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here at Moby.co to better understand what's happening in the markets. Justin, dude, what's good, man? How are you doing today? How are you making sense of the markets right now? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's pandemonium. Um, people are finally starting to get back involved, which I like to see. Uh, we looked at Robinhood's most recent earnings report. The numbers haven't ticked up massively, but they're starting to see an increase in AUM and an increase in downloads again. So people are starting to get back more involved in the market, more reading what's going on, which you know makes sense for this time of year. It gets colder. People aren't outside. But I think there are more eyes on the market than probably ever before this year. And there's also much more going on than ever before. So to be informed, to know what's going on, to make sense of it, uh, I think now is a really, really good time if uh, if you're just starting to dive into it. And that's really important, too. Like, we're seeing so much energy in the stock market. Like, what I have loved about this, this has never happened before, right, Justin? Uh, the last time you and I were involved in any kind of fun da- downturn was, you know, 10 years ago. It was 2008. Um, more than 10, 13 years ago. Whatever. Like, we saw so much oxygen just completely exit the market, right? And what's really amazing to see is that we're getting interest back. We are getting a lot of people staying with that interest, despite that we have been in this bear market situation for more than a year. So my question question is, um, as we roll through this, we're looking at earnings season this week too, right? Tech earnings were still down really bad. How are we feeling about tech earnings as we move forward? Like, uh, for instance, one of our top tech stocks from before Twilio is down bad after another earnings miss. How are we feeling about sort of like the pressures inflation is putting on the stock market right now? It's, it's interesting right now. The different parts of the market are feeling it kind of all over the place. You have um, for for tech stocks specifically, we've obviously seen a large downturn this year. Um, and for other sectors of the market, like energy, like utilities, um, they've actually done incredibly well. ConocoPhillips reported earlier this week, uh, they had an amazing earnings report and the stock skyrocketed. It's actually at right now uh, an all-time high, which is, you know, the the news is telling us that everything's going down, but Energy names are rallying hard. One of our favorite picks that we've talked about for years now, it's on our site, TPL. That's up 90% this year. So if you look in the right spots, there are opportunities. However, the names that have historically taken the uh, the headlines, like tech names, are getting absolutely decimated this year. So to your point about the, the tech sector, it's just really tough right now. Um, so most of their cash flows are in future projected periods. So for any growth company that's going to be huge in a decade from now, they're not going to really start making money, you know, five, 10 years from now. So what you have to do is figure out how much money those tomorrow dollars worth are worth in today's dollars. So what I mean by that is, you know, a dollar today is not worth the same as a dollar tomorrow. Just how, you know, a hundred a hundred bucks a hundred years ago was very different what a hundred dollars is today. A hundred dollars 100 years ago was worth a ton of money. Today, you know, it's relatively negligible. So that's the same phenomenon we're seeing in tech right now is these companies are going to be making, you know, tons of money five, 10 years from now. But what is that worth in today's dollars? Then how do we value that? So when 
when interest rates have been relatively low, you just basically discount to figure out what that is. You discount it back in today's dollars. You're basically just dividing it by the interest rate. So $100 in 10 years from now, if rates are super low, is close to 100 bucks. But every you know percent you increase interest rates, that $100 becomes worth less and less and less. And so with increasing interest rates, those future cash flows are worth less. And then ultimately, those companies are valued less. And the companies that have more or less most of their cash flows in projected periods are typically high growth tech companies. So that's why we've seen those stocks get an absolutely crush. Pair that with just, you know, they're not making money. So it's it's kind of compounding right now when the market cares about profitability. And the tech sector is just a tough place to invest in in a rising interest rate environment. Like we said, look at energy, look at utilities. Those are names that are are going to make more money in high interest rates environment or at least more money in high inflationary environments. So it's a lot to unpack, but Basically, there are certain sectors that are not going to do well right now, but there are other sectors that are actually doing absolutely insane. So we just need to make sure that we're investing in the right opportunities over the right time periods to understand where we can be capitalizing the most. And the major way we understand where we are in those time periods and where we are in the market, right, is, you know, interest rates, where we think the Fed is going to be going. And this week, we had literally 15 minutes of euphoria during the FOMC press conference, where Jerome Powell, for like 30 seconds, said, hey, yeah, we're probably thinking about softening, and then immediately backtracked. For the 15 minutes around that moment where he said, we're potentially thinking about slowing the rates rise, i.e., for December, going 50 basis points as opposed to 75, wherein the Fed thinks they have it under control. You saw the Dow spike for 300 points and then instantly give it back. So you see this market just eager to get some good news, to know that we've slowed down the economy sufficiently that we can stop, you know, beating the crap out of it. How do you feel about like all this market interest and just like jumping right back into the, the, the bull run here, Justin? Is that just like, you know, hedge fund delirium or is there some actual thought there where people are looking at the fundamentals of various companies and saying, everything's fine. I'm just worried about interest rates going up more and, you know, pushing a further recession. Uh, a lot of it is just driven by expectations, unfortunately. So the last route, the rally we've seen over the last week or two is due to the fact that people thought the Fed would be slowing down the increase of their interest rates. At the last meeting, that was two days ago, they kind of alluded to that. They said they could see themselves starting to slow down, whether it be next meeting or the meeting after, but sometime soon. And then past that, they didn't give any indication for when they would start cutting. But that is the expectation, is that rates will start increasing at a or start increasing at a decreasing pace and then eventually level off and come back down. At that point, our economy is very, very heavily financed by debt, especially in high growth names outside of their valuations. It costs a lot of money to run their operations. And so they use debt in order to run the operations. If debt's more expensive, then it becomes harder to run these operations. So you kind of pair that with this valuation conundrum we're running into interest rates. And even the expectation that rates are going to fall, it just sparks bull market rallies or, or just anticipation. So you see that money, that sideline capital just waiting to be injected. So I think it's still a bit early and I still think there's definitely more headwinds to come. We are definitely not out of the clear by any means. But what promise I am seeing is that there's a lot of capital in the sidelines that's waiting to be injected. And I believe once it becomes more clear that we're on the other side of this thing, we're going to see an absolutely massive rally. Um, so for us, you know, the market could fall another easily 5, 10, 15%, but I'd rather take 
good valuations now, invest in companies that have solid fundamentals. So when that rally does come, whether it's in 6, 12, 18 months from now, we can at least have a lower cost basis and not try and time the absolute bottom, but get close to it as much as possible. And to be clear, audience, it's not just, oh, valuation down, so buy stock. For instance, we're still trying to figure out if it's now, now's the time to buy Meta or not. And Meta is very much a speculative play. Even though Meta has completely left the, stop, the spotlight as Elon Musk is literally lighting Twitter on fire in an effort to, uh, honestly, I don't even know what he's trying to do with, you know, the $44 billion he's on the hook for and the billion dollars a year of interest he's got to pay. Um, we just, we, uh, 50% layoffs looks like it's currently happening at Twitter right now. We're still in the evolving sort of layoff off spree there as advertisers are beginning to pause revenue against the backdrop of people worrying like what's gonna happen at twitter so you don't have to worry about that anymore because you know if you were a twitter shareholder you are now going to get compensated you know from that buyout but do not buy meta like just because you know one's paying attention to mark zuckerberg anymore doesn't mean that he's still burning so much cash trying to make this metaverse happen so you're trying to find companies with solid fundamentals that are just getting depressed by you know economic conditions which is why we put out our updates on both microsoft and sofi this week microsoft is getting just hammered by reductions in revenue from azure as companies sort of like pull back from like the high growth mode that would necessitate cloud spending and in the same breath sofi is you know experiencing a lot of headwinds from just being a tech company who had to spend a lot of money to you know, not win. And what we saw this week, though, was SoFi report earnings and demonstrate an EBITDA that was four times expectations. Like they've managed to cut costs and make money work that much better, which is awesome to see. And so that's what you're going to be seeing from us in the next couple of months as we continue to find these companies with solid fundamentals who are just getting absolutely hammered by the market in large as we think about what's happening here in this economy. But Justin, you know, we've been talking about this a lot in the Mobi office and we kind of briefly alluded to it last uh, podcast and therefore it's been kind of coming up like in the sidelines of the Mobiverse, right? Uh, the last time we had, you know, a significant rates increase like this to get stagflation under control, it was the 80s and there was essentially a very, very small debt to GDP ratio. The, the debt to GDP, the debt to GDP ratio right now is absolutely insane. Is there any sort of like ripple effect that comes out of this where the Fed rates rate, raises rates enough to like lock down what's happening um, in inflation, which then causes a further slowdown that outlives the inflation situation because of how high rates are and the lack of access to capital. Like we can't keep the money flowing since everybody's in so much debt and the debt is just like cyclically flowing from one entity to another. Does that make sense? Are we just going to see another ripple effect moving forward? Is this going to keep cascading given our current situation? Yeah, I mean, I think what people aren't talking about is the fact that rising rates necessarily won't slow down inflation in some parts of the economy. So for other discretionary parts of the economy, it definitely will. Things that you don't need, but you want. But in other parts of the economy, to your point, because debt is such a high part of GDP, if anything, it's going to make things more expensive. So like, let's look at food, for example. People need to eat food. And the farming sector is financed by over $500 billion worth of debt. And the debt to GDP ratio in general is over 100%. So when you increase the price of debt by raising interest rates, the price of food is just going to become more expensive. You know, farmers need to buy fertilizer, seed, tractors, land. They don't necessarily have that cash on hand. And if it's big corporations, even if they do, to finance growth and to finance like further operations and not use all of your liquidity, you take out debt. So if debt becomes more expensive, like they're not going to just stomach and swallow those costs. It's a low margin kind of uh, sector to be in as it as it stands. What they're going to do is pass on those costs to consumers. 
Um, so if fertilizer and seed become more expensive, when the farmer sells their goods to a corporation, that corporation then is going to sell their goods to you know supermarkets at higher price. And the supermarkets are then gonna raise their prices and sell it higher to consumers. So rising rates is going to not necessarily have the effect the Fed wants. Back in the 70s and 80s, when they were raising rates, the world was in a very different place. The world was not financed by debt to the same extent it is now. Like I said, it's over 100%. Back then, it was around like the 30 to 50% level. So even if they raise rates, it didn't necessarily affect the end consumer as much. So in, a con- like in sectors of the economy, like utilities, where people have to spend money on utilities, on- in energy, where people have to buy oil, in food, where people have to eat, Yes, there might be some sort of slowdown in demand because some of it is excess. Like you necessarily don't need to go to restaurants. You don't necessarily need to go on a plane all the time and use gas and energy. But there's going to be some sort of threshold that if they raise rates past it and there's a baseline level demand that we can't go beneath, there's ultimately going to be this area where rising rates doesn't slow down if like inflation in core parts of the economy. So that's something that like people aren't talking about that I, I really think that could be scary if rates get to a certain rate where we're almost in this stagflationary period where inflation isn't coming down. Now unemployment is starting to creep up because companies can't afford it anymore. And we start moving into a very serious recession. And that's what people are starting to get worried for, for 2023. Um, it's yet to be seen how this will ultimately play out. But that is something we are we are definitely keeping our eyes on and, and is something that could be a, a pretty big issue. And this is something you can keep an eye on too, audience, as you sort of like look forward to the week ahead. We're going to see a lot of major events in the U.S. economy just kind of smash into this week. Um, first of all, there's going to be the midterm elections, which largely don't have a huge effect in the economy. Lots of people pretend it does. Like people think that the people, the government and the, the party in power in Congress can do something about inflation, which is the principal issue we have when they really largely can, especially since we're in a supply slide inflation situation. But after that, on the 10th, the actual moment that really judges how we're going to be doing for the rest of the year comes out, which is the next CPI print. Uh, We've been saying this literally monthly for a year now. The CPI print is absolutely gigantic. And this one in particular, since the Fed has hinted that they're a little bit like the teensiest bit more confident that inflation's more under control. If we see the CPI stay with the, in, within the range that analysts are suggesting it could be, or even beneath that, we're going to see a lot of like really, really positive motion. The thing is that the last two CPI prints, the one for September, and sorry, the one for August and September, which came out in uh, September and October, that's complicated, uh, both came in slightly higher than anticipated, despite the fact that and if you look at the actual inflation curve right now, it's very flat. Like you can say, oh, inflation has peaked, but if it ticks up a little bit again, then we're just seeing, okay, Higher interest rates is, they're much higher, but they're not, you know, knocking down the market as much as it needs to, which means the Fed needs to stay aggressive into 2023, which is how we get into this strong worry of like a full on recession where the market goes down 15 more points. If you see the CPI go down next Thursday and like the larger market, like whatever happens in the midterm elections, you're going to see mayhem, like actual fake bull run mania in the stock market the way we saw it in August when a way more positive than should have been CPI came in on the on the back of like really cheap oil prices in July. So as you watch this, just keep in mind what you're seeing is just like the echoes of things that have already happened. It's going to be just wild to see as we move forward who and all is going to be affected by um, 
inflation moving forward. And as we kind of think about that again, like Justin, we're getting towards like the back half of this conversation too, as we think about the sort of macro side of all this, obviously our audience is kind of, you know, we do a lot of analysis on the economy and everyone says that the number one factor affecting all of elections is the economy. And so next week we got midterm elections up, uh, 538 says there's an 83% chance that the house is going to flip to the Republican party and like literal 53% maybe chance that it's going to flip uh, also the senate will flip also uh just looking at that like what do you think will happen with the midterm elections do you think it's just a classic midterm where the uh, president's party gets washed in congress and we get a full republican house again and we just get i don't even know gridlock mania or how are you thinking like the, the elections are going to play out based on what you've been seeing from the economy from your viewpoint as a financial analyst yeah i mean it's it's probably to your point going to be like a little bit of an overhaul where republicans take more seats um <laughs> It's interesting because like from like an economic perspective, a lot of investors like what Republicans do, but from a like a social perspective, people have issues and then vice versa. People like socially, well, not everyone, but some people like socially what the Democrats do, but then other people don't like economically what the Democrats do. So there's kind of give and takes with both with both parties. I think to your point. You know, there, there's usually a turnover this time of year, so I wouldn't be surprised to see that. But I think it's going to be really exacerbated, given what's going on in the markets. Uh, we're not commenting whether or not this is Biden's fault, but the the situation is that the the economy is looking has a pretty poor outlook, and the markets are are pretty poor. So when that happens, typically, like that will make voters want to go more Republican or more the opposite of whatever party's currently in power. So if more of them come in, more Republicans. Um, I think it will help stabilize the market in the short term. But what we'll really be looking to is then how does that affect the elections in two years from now? You know, way too early to start making predictions on who will be our next president and how that will affect the markets. Um, but ultimately, this this does have a really in, like short term impact on what's going on. If more Republicans come into into market, we're going to see more separation um, and we'll see more um, just conservative policy get pushed um, which, you know, should help the economy. It could help down, help slow down spending, which will help slow down inflation. Um, but ultimately the, the effects of it from, from my perspective is, is hard to fully grasp right now. I'm not sure if you have uh, thoughts of your own. And just to, just to give like a, an additional perspective from sort of like our jaded analytical perspective audience, like a lot of you are kind of curious, okay, well, like, why are you not commenting whether or not it's Biden's fault? Shouldn't that matter? And the issue is, is that um, regard, it's a impossible to say whether or not Biden's policies have helped or hurt inflation because it's supply side inflation and supply side inflation is kind of goofy, honestly. And furthermore, it really doesn't matter if it's Biden's fault or not. If there's inflation during your presidency, the, the, you're going to get blamed for it regardless of, you know, whose fault it is or not like to give you the flip side example audience legitimately the main reason we had eight years of bill clinton when i was a child is because there was a teeny tiny little hiccup recession that happened like in the last like six months of george hw bush's first term mr cia himself could not you know hold on for a second term just because it was the t- like I'm, t- I'm i'm talking the babiest of baby recessions in the middle of like the end of like the kind of reagan boom we saw in the late 80s right so tiny recession george hw bush doesn't know how much a cart- carton of milk costs um and then boom bill clinton's president for eight years so the politics can be very finicky like you're dealing with the minds of you know 200 million individuals and so it's frothy it's mayhem and i understand there's a lot of there's a lot more polarization in our politics 
politics right now and a lot more important social issues, but sometimes it comes down to the smallest, dumbest things that are outside of our power. So keep watching that as well as we you know, think about this moving forward, but largely the market's probably not going to react positively or negatively to the midterm results because the market largely tries to it only kind of positively reacts if you have all three houses within the Republicans because a Republican House, Senate, and presidency means a lot of short-term gains. So the market just floods the market with capital in that time period. Whereas, you know, triple Democrat control means long-term gains, but kind of short-term, like, you know, slowdowns, which the market doesn't like because the market is extraordinarily present tense. So complicated way of thinking about that. I'm not here to tell you which one's better. I'm here to call balls and strikes in the economy, not necessarily on that side of things. But moving on forward here, Justin, um, you talked a lot about sort of the, the other factors playing into inflation. It used to be energy, but now you and I are kind of watching food drive the bus too a little bit, specifically the price of wheat, which has been on the dumbest roller coaster in the world in the past seven days as Russia exactly a week ago today threatened to bail on a deal allowing Ukrainian grain to be exported out of the Black Sea, then came back in and then two days ago said, maybe we'll go back out. And then this morning said, okay, maybe we'll go back in. Like where I'm literally watching wheat futures shift ludicrous 10% swings and be kind of up 12% on the week, no matter what, with all this volatility. Uh, with um, the world's largest wheat exporter kind of beating up on the fifth largest wheat exporter, that is Russia versus Ukraine, how are we doing with food prices after a year of this bullshit? Because what we're, th what we're seeing, obviously, is... Um, a lot of our most important farmland literally in the world getting wasted on a pretty dumb invasion. Like, how are you thinking about um, <laughs> inflation kind of becoming stickier as we see food prices begin to drive the bus after energy prices were kind of in charge for the larger part of this year? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's a good question. I mean, Russia and Ukraine together make up about, I think, 13% of the world's like wheat production. Um, so obviously what's going on there like massively affects food prices. You know, paired with the fact that Russia exports also 10% of the world's energy, which how do you think wheat gets to us? Like it has to be shipped and then ultimately um, it's shipped through energy. So it all kind of interplays together. It's it's still an, an ongoing issue. Yes, wheat prices have fallen from their all-time high. Uh, energy prices have fallen from their all-time highs. Um, but we're still kind of in this supply crunch um, it, this is by no means towards the end of it yet. We're still going to have more of a, a commodity re related issue as this moves forward. I think the biggest thing like we need to look forward to right now is understanding how this conflict gets resolved in, in the Ukraine and Russia. Um, there's been talks, but you know, so far, um, it'll be interesting really to look at the winter and see how that affects the war. Um, obviously Russia and Ukraine are, are pretty cold in the winter. Um, if there's a shortage of food, a shortage of energy, um, there's going to be, you know, potentially a forced resolution that has to come to play if the army can't be fed or they can't be produced or, or transported. I think past food prices, you also look at the, the price of like natural gas and oil in Europe relative to America. Um, right now, it's significantly significantly cheaper uh for natural gas prices here in the u.s where like we don't have to rely on um on, on russia as much where we can do it mostly in in-house whereas the price of natural gas in europe is just so much more expensive i think it's eight times more expensive so for people in the winters to heat their homes uh or just use all the the other outputs of natural gas i mean we're just going to get get to a point where we have to come to a resolution because it's affecting the world so much. So we'll see how that affects 
Russia positively or negatively. Um, but this is an, an ongoing saga, which then will affect, you know, the resolution of that war then affects the resolution of the markets and, and so many other things. With less volatility there will definitely help the markets for sure. And audience, as you look into that, too, as you kind of examine that, one really important thing, too, is to watch, you know, in your various, you know, industries that you're watching, in your various stock picks that you're building your portfolio around, this is make sure you're watching development that happens. Are people still finding ways to grow and develop during this time period? One that we've been kind of quiet on is this kind of very mild crypto bull run we've been seeing. You know, our crypto narratives were pretty bullish on long-term Bitcoin, Ethereum, Polygon, uh, ICP, a little bit of smaller plays, maybe Solana, if they can finally stop getting hacked for Christ's sake, please God almighty, um, lots of things like that. And uh, one of those, one, one part of that portfolio, again, is starting to outperform a little bit as Matic is finally up 20% this week, you know, on new partnerships with, you know, Instagram, JP Morgan, is there going to be an infrastructure play for these smart contracts? So keep that in mind too, make sure you're keeping an eye on like development too. This is the time to watch the news, not so much like the market movements as market movements are really driven by capital being injected into the space. And as Justin said, there's so much capital sitting on the sidelines waiting for indications that it's not going to get chewed up by high inflation and high interest rates, right? Like VCs have amassed the greatest amount of dry powder, uh, I think ever, right? Justin, like we are, we're watching VCs just kind of sit on the sidelines and just like accumulate all of this, you know, dry capital waiting to deploy it. So once we get an indication that things are going to be better, at least in the short term afterwards, we're going to see an absolute explosion of investment that can, you know, drive a lot of positive movement with a lot of the within a lot of these markets, be they crypto or stocks. So the main thing is stay the course, keep dollar cost averaging, make sure you're maintaining your portfolio, never become a forced seller. Don't, especially don't put yourself in a more risky position right now, audience, as you think about this and you'll still be fine. That's the main thing. You're thinking long term. You are putting money into your system that you don't expect to see for decades unless you know you're at the end of your journey and you're just managing it at this point. The main thing is don't be a forced seller. You can only lose the game by leaving the table. Stay on that table, keep your chips in the pot and see how it all kind of plays out. So a lot of really cool things to see from this market, obviously audience. But again, we see a market just eager to get out of this years long cycle of bear nonsense and the fear of rising rates and the fear of capital getting chewed up. So again, next Thursday, the CPI is the only news that actually matters. You don't even need to know what happens in the midterms. You need to know how bad inflation was in October, which you know, it can go either way, like things are getting colder, so energy prices are going to be going up in October, or at least it's starting to. So you might see other factors drive the bus in inflation, and we're just kind of stuck there for a bit. Or you'll see various factors driving inflation back down as de destroying demand finally helps out. Of course, consumer spending is undefeatable. We're also seeing wages increase. We're also seeing job openings increase. Um, a lot of confusing signals in this economy, honestly, audience. And so a lot of things are just kind of pushing and pulling against all of this energy in our system as we are just desperate to keep the money flowing, given the amount of debt everyone is in. So really exciting to see how that all plays out. Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here at Moby.co. Uh, we uh, we ran the gamut here today, dude. Anything you wanted to cover before we go ahead and read the credits here? We uh, I have no idea how we keep running over time. Like It feels like we talk about nothing and we talk about everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I mean... Obviously, I always wanted to talk about more. Right? I, don't, I don't think we had a chance to talk about the Twitter stuff. We can doesn't really affect the markets. It's just like honestly humorous at this point. Uh, except fifty percent layoffs. It's looking like it right now. Um, yeah, fifty percent layoffs and ads are just dead. Um, yeah, the, the the only thing I guess I mean it's just like there's not again that much from an investment perspective to analyze. The actually only funny thing I would say is right now, like on a risk adjusted basis, like buying a Powerball ticket isn't the craziest thing in the world. It's 1.6 billion highest uh, 
pet of all time. If you do the math, I mean, it doesn't not make sense to buy one. Um, and that's that's obviously life-changing money. So we always talk about investing and buying things that are that make sense. And it's ridiculous to talk about the Powerball, but with the payout versus how much it costs, listen, you're not going to win, but for the one person in the U.S. who ultimately does win, you know, that's <laughs> talk about creating wealth overnight. That is uh, that is one way to do it. Even if you create a Powerball, even even create a Powerball pool audience, like get your 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 company of, you know, 300 people together and just go for it, right? Even on that. Yeah, risk, if you want to throw us in there, go for it too, you know? I won't yeah. be upset. Uh, this is the most amazing investing podcast of all time because it lets you know just how interesting the market position is right now. How it's like, yeah, you know, I just invest in the Powerball, see what happens, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, you, your odds, of course, are like one in several, several million, right, audience? So it's not like the, it's, you're, you're basically throwing that money away, but you may as well, you know, get the dopamine rush of spending $10 on like five entries or whatever. So either way, audience, just keep that in mind. That's where the market is right now. Like if you want short-term games, the Powerball is your best, but if you want long-term games, take that 10 bucks and throw it into, I don't know, SoFi <laughs> right now. SoFi seems like- Yeah, a I mean, yeah. so the odds of winning the Powerball are what? One, it says one, in, I just looked it up, one in 292 million. So if it costs two, two bucks, that means that like your break even point would be around, you know, 550, 600 million. So anything over 600 million in theory, like it, it, <laughs> it makes sense. Um, but is there, is there like, wait, is there a legitimate way I could use, could I like go to a VC right now, get $600 million and just spend that on Powerball tickets? There's no way they're going to let you buy in bulk, right? Wait, wait, say that again. Sorry. Could I act? Could I, honest to God, deploy six hundred million dollars of capital to buy Powerball tickets just to get a fifty percent return? I mean, I guess like in theory, but like the ch it's not. You know, like if you if you did how much you said five hundred million, six hundred million in Powerball tickets? Yeah, I just quoted the number you you quoted at me. So. Yeah. So I mean, like, it doesn't mean. I mean, I guess like by the odds, in theory, like you would win, but. I mean, at that point, you'd kind of just break even if you spent $600 million on Powerball tickets or like, to your point, I guess you'd have a 50% return, but then after taxes, I mean, listen, you have $600 million to deploy. I think there's smarter ways to do it with less, with significantly less risk, also with significantly less upside. But do you want to, do you want to risk $600 million for a 50% return? Or do you want to put in $600 million and get like a guaranteed you know, 6% return with like I-bonds, let's call it. I mean, granted, you can only do 10K, but stuff like that. Like, I mean, when you start talking about risk-adjusted returns for a 50% return, $600 million is not worth it for, for two bucks. The upside of, you know, half a billion dollars, like when it when you figure out how, like the, the chances of it happening in theory, like do make sense from a math perspective. And audience, in case you're wondering what happens to analysts a year into a bear market, you're watching this live as we kind of degenerate into thinking, okay, I just need some short-term re returns just for the sake of the minute. <laughs> for the love of God, I'm just buying Powerball tickets and dipping as much money into DraftKings as, as humanly possible because I just need some. I need a hit, man. I need a hit real bad. Um, this is what happens. Like it's been it's been an exhausting bear market, right? But that's you you go through the exhaustion. You go through like the anti-serotonin hit of you know buying low or what you think is going to be low watch you could go lower dollar cost averaging your way in and five years from now you'll be a far far more robust investor for having done so so power through the exhaustion power through the years of seasonal depression um and you'll do fine and over here at moby.co you know we've got a lot of exciting things coming on our product side as we think about a lot of things we're developing over here and that's another part of the exhaustion you're hearing so really excited to share some sick news with you moving forward we got a lot of cool stuff potentially coming in q4 but definitely q1 we're going to be expanding a lot potentially 
eventually. So we're really excited to give that all to you, audience. But we appreciate you, you know, being here during the the bear period um, <laughs> in a lot of ways. So we appreciate your patience as we continue developing. A lot of our resources are going towards that development right now. And if you have any questions for us, you can always refer to hit us up here on Discord or at helloatmobi.co. Uh, anything at all, audience. Like there is no direction too wild right now, especially given the way the market is behaving, so to speak. So audience, thank you so much for being here with us. Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here at Mobi.co. Thank you so much for all of your perspective today. Audience, anything else for us, you can hit us up at hello at Mobi.co. Find us over on Instagram, TikTok, or even um, any, or even here at Discord or where podcasts are sold. Really appreciate your time. But for now, audience, just so you know, this podcast is produced, hosted, and voiced by me, Peter Starr. All the intellectual value from this podcast comes from our analyst team led by Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder here at Mobi.co. Any questions for us, hello at Mobi.co. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening folks and as always we'd like to leave you with peace love and incremental gains everyone be well thank you so much <laughs>